This is Women's Tech Radio, a show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network interviewing interesting women in technology, exploring their roles and how they're successful in technology careers. I'm Paige. And I'm Angela. So Angela, this week we're going to talk with Liz Hill. She is a multifaceted, multi-hat wearing awesome lady over at Microsoft, and she gives us kind of a great rundown of what all of that means throughout the interview. And before we get into the interview, I just want to mention that you can support Women's Tech Radio and the Jupiter Broadcasting Network by going to patreon.com forward slash today. It is a subscription-based, kind of like a crowdfunding thing, but like I said, it it funds the whole network and specifically Women's Tech Radio, patreon.com forward slash today. We get started by asking Liz what she's up to in technology today. Right now, I'm a service engineering manager at Microsoft, working in SharePoint Online's service fabric team. Uh, for those of you not familiar with Microsoft's structure, uh, it's backend engineering. Uh, we support, uh, we provide tech that supports all of our engineers that support the customers. Wow, that's quite the mouthful for a title. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, so that's uh, supporting tech. That's kind of like internal tools for your company. Yes, it's a lot of internal tools. Uh, my specific role is uh, supportability tools and um, a lot around our agile process and agile development process uh, specifically. So because we are a DevOps team, uh, we do both development work. We also do operations work for our own technology. And so I work especially on the technology side as well as a lot of the program management too. Um, for people who aren't familiar, can you kind of give a high level overview of what DevOps means? Yeah, Um, so DevOps is a new model. It's been growing a lot in the past couple of years um, and I've seen it come more and more in force. Um, It's where the people who are writing the code are are also doing the support for the code that they write um, is the short version of it. Uh, So that means that when their code breaks, they're the ones who go and fix it as opposed to having maybe a separate operations team uh, who is the one who are the ones responsible for fixing that code. Okay, so like you're doing your own deployment and maintenance. Yeah, you're, you do your own deployment, you do your own maintenance, um, you do your own uh, troubleshooting a lot of times. Um, so you don't necessarily have a completely distinct operations team to rely on to do all of that work. You're doing a lot of the work yourself. So that sounds like you're the other side of the dev designer. Yeah, you're doing you're doing really everything. So it's really interesting because it crosses so many different boundaries. It's very novel in the approach in that it assumes that everyone can do everything. So for me, it's been very interesting to watch how it's been working, or you know, when it hasn't been working in other uh, places. Um, you know, and how people feel about it. I'm on a lot of different um, Agile groups. And because Agile has really adopted the DevOps model, it's been very interesting to watch people talk about it and say, well, this works really well. This doesn't work very well. And why? So it's fascinating to me. Why do you think Agile has adopted that so well? Like, what about those two philosophies kind of tie together? Well, Agile philosophy um, is really about doing the best work, but doing it incrementally and minimally and consistently doing uh, the same level of work. So it's really about, it's not about delivering the perfect code at the end of this long, huge cycle where you have a huge time for bug fixes. It's about going in and finding them and saying, oh, this didn't work right. Let's go immediately and fix it in the next sprint. 
or this didn't work right. So I think that it really goes together a lot as opposed to sending it off to some separate, you know, vague testing group off some in, in some other building and saying, oh, well, they'll tell us what's wrong with it. You're the ones testing it and you're showing it to the customers and testing it with them effectively in your retrospective and seeing, uh, you know, the customer say to you, oh, this isn't working for me. This is what I actually need. So you're getting that feedback more frequently as opposed to at the end of this really long cycle, you know, this one to two year, you know, cycle that you would normally go through. That makes sense. And what does your team look like? Is when you say that you develop it and you fix it, is 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 that literally just one person or is it a group? No, it's a group. Um, our team is made up of four distinct teams, my team and then three other teams. So my team is primarily, we're all program managers in terms of trade by and large. Um, I have the most technical background, I suppose, of all of us. And then the other teams are full on developers. They're all software developers, but they're all small groups of software developers. Uh, we're about 20 people total, I think. And we all support each other's technology. So we're always looking at each other's tech. There's no one person who owns, you know, one piece of technology and that's what they support continuously 100% of the time, always. You know, they may be the expert, but everyone looks at each other's code. Everyone's always helping each other out. We always share best practices. We're always talking to one another. That sounds like a really awesome collaborative environment. It is. It's really neat. No one works in a vacuum. And that's been the case in every dev team that I've worked with, there's no vacuums anymore. It used to be very much more of that, you know, you'd have people working solo in their offices. And I haven't seen that in probably five, six years. I think I think there's a lot more movement to code as craft. And I think that collaboration is kind of key in that. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned um, having the most technical background on your team. What is that? Where, where did you come from? How did you wind up at Microsoft in this crazy role? So my background started uh, when I was eight and I got kicked off of Prodigy the first time um, for not doing my homework. Um, my family had computers uh, all throughout my childhood. My father was very interested in technology. I learned about bulletin boards from a babysitter when I was 10. And when I was 14, I was at an all-girls school and was definitely the odd girl out. So I had a T1 and a computer lab to myself and was bored. So I started building web pages using GeoCities of all things, you know, their GUI builder, and I hated it. So I learned HTML and I learned a little bit of CSS and I started building my own web pages because why not? You know, there were tons of free web page uh, hosting uh, sites out there, GeoCities, Tripod, all the rest. Um, and it was really fun for me to learn that. I switched schools and I took Novell administration classes and Cisco networking classes, Windows server administration classes. And that's really what I fell in love with was the infrastructure and the networking pieces. Um, I did take another development class, but I really didn't, I wasn't interested in it. And I think that's because it was, you know, very much taught in the, here's what you do to develop, you know, whatever the project was. It wasn't uh, very, there was not a lot of freedom in that class. So I ended up starting in electrical engineering at NC State um, and got my bachelor's degree in English after I wasn't having a lot of fun in electrical engineering. But I interned at Cisco and, you know, aside from a brief stint in the public sector, pretty much stayed in the tech sector in my career. And a lot of what I've done has been, you know, everything from, hey, we need an inventory database. OK, so they handed me, you know, a box and said, 
just put Windows Server 2000 on it. Um, and I, you know, built that with PHP and MySQL back in the day and it worked. Um, and then, you know, I got handed a book on cold fusion here, go learn cold fusion, um, here, go learn Ruby. Um, <laughs> so a lot of my career has been, Hey, here, go learn this. Even if I haven't been in a specifically technical job, I was in a marketing, um, and merchandising role and they, you know, just said, well, you're, you know how to re- use SQL. So write your own SQL queries. Okay, sure. Check them out for me. But yeah, I'll go do that. Oh, here, you know, go learn Ruby so that you can, you know, write these scripts. Um, You can adjust all the XML manually for your stuff. Okay, cool. So it's been really interesting in that I've had a lot of technically non-technical roles and still have been in very much technical bent. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, like, I, I always think that there is room for technical excellence in almost any role. Like there's there's always, you know, you most of us have had that experience of being that guy. Like, even if it's just your family, like you're the person they call because they have a computer problem. And yes. I think it happens in offices, too. And, you know, if you're if you're open to it, there is room to do things like, oh, hey, I see this problem. Like we're emailing this Excel spreadsheet around and it's causing problems. Like, why don't we just have a database for this? Yeah. And I mean, that was how I got my start in project management was I was the most technical person at one of my jobs and we were doing a technical migrate. We were doing a server migration um, and they needed my help uh, because I understood what all of the consultants were talking about, quite frankly. And, you know, management didn't really understand a lot of it and they didn't understand a lot of the UI design issues that were coming up and, you know, where I could speak the same language as the consultants. And so they brought me in and it was great because, um, it really showed me that I could have both a technical and non-technical side to my career. And I could combine the two in a way that I really enjoyed. So what is it about the technical side of your career that like fires you up? Like, it sounds like you're pretty passionate and have kind of always been like, is it just that you've got that kind of mindset or like you love puzzles? Like how does that wrap together? I love, I love learning. Um, is, one of the big things I love learning. Um, I'm very just curious as to how things work. Um, I'm not, I don't have a very mechanical mind. Um, that died with my great grandfather, my grandfather and my father do not know which side of a hammer to use. Um, (laughs) it's, it's a running joke in my family. So, you know, I don't really have that mechanical bent, but I really, I'm curious as to how things are put together and logically I'm able to, I'm able to do that a lot better with logic than I am with physical objects. Um, You really don't want me taking apart a car, but when I'm sitting there looking at code and taking it apart and figuring out how to put it back together and make it work for me, um, that's really interesting. And it's not necessarily that I'm especially good with that because I certainly wouldn't say that um, with code because I don't have a lot of patience with a lot of uh, things, you know, that's something that I'm working on, but it's fascinating to me as to how it's put together. And that's really why I got into infrastructure and networking was because it was how everything works together um, and the logic of it all. Um, I love logic puzzles. I've been doing, you know, the Penny Press and Dell logic puzzles that you see in the drugstores and the grocery store magazine aisles. I've been doing those since I was like, I don't know, 10 years old and my fifth grade teacher introduced me to them. Um, and I just love that way of thinking of how does this all fit together? How do you figure this out with a partial set of information? And 
that's really interesting to me um, is figuring those puzzles out. I love doing that. So anytime I get to do that uh, with a technical puzzle, sometimes it can get really frustrating, but it's really interesting too. That's really fascinating to me that like you have that that technical, I want to take things apart with my brain mindset, but not the physical side of it. Because mm-hmm. for me, they're so well tied together. Like I, I was as a kid, I got in trouble for taking everything apart. Like yeah. my, my dad would leave something broken on the workbench that he might fix later. And like by that weekend, it was in pieces on my playroom floor. <laughs> well, and I would do the same thing. I would just never be able to, you know, get it back together right. I just, you know, I understand a lot of the mechanisms behind mm-hmm. it, but I was never able to really get it all working back together. Um, it was really interesting because physics and chemistry, I understood really well from a logical perspective, but put me in a lab and I'm just like, oh, this is really not going to end well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can follow instructions in a lab, but I, you know, on my own, it was really interesting to see that, you know, I just didn't have that same physical to um, logical connection. Yeah, that's really interesting because I, I have a similar block. I think it's a hybrid of yours and pages, though, because mine is I understand the lo- logic of it when I think about it. And then when I go to do it physically, I have such a um, I'm not confident. Yeah. Like I that I I'm fe- I feel like it's going to fail, but then it doesn't typically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I just it just I just experienced that yesterday. So <laughs> I, I always say that I can put I can fix so many things because I'm so good at breaking so many things. Yeah. So that's kind of. You kind of just have to at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm really good with Ikea furniture that, that I'm totally good on. Um, you know, I, I instructions, feel great right? about that. <laughs> it has instructions. They do you have know, phenomenal they're, instructions. They're, I know. And they're very logical to me. Um, and it's funny because my husband who is very much mechanical, very, um, you know, I come home and something has been done to the house and I'm just like, oh, that's great. I don't even know how you did that. So <laughs> you can show me. But, you know, Ikea instructions completely mystify him because he just does things based on what's in his head. So it's really interesting to see how people think differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just always curious about it. You know, my grandfather could plan out logistics for, you know, just tons and tons of people and make, you know, amazing things happen, but yet give him a hammer. Oh no, that was not a good idea. <laughs> yep. so, couldn't put together a shelf. So we, everybody has their strengths, right? Exactly. So I also know that you are involved in a, a bunch of volunteer efforts as well. That's part of your background. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and kind of how that marries in with your tech career? Yeah. Um, so I do a lot of volunteer efforts. Um, Microsoft is great for allowing me to pursue them. Um, one of the efforts that I'm working closely on here is Small Basic. It's a programming language aimed at kids 8 to 11, although anyone can use it. Um, and I love working with that because for me, it's really important, not so much the kids learn how to code in any specific language or anything, but the, they learn that computational thinking, that they are thinking about algorithms because even sentence structure is effectively an algorithm. Um, you can tie the two together really neatly. Um, and so I want to encourage kids to have that computational thinking. And then I've mentored uh, with Girls Who Code for two summers and participated in DigiGirls during their summer camps for a couple of years, bring your kids to work day. I do a lot of that mentoring because I really do want, um, you know, girls to see that there are women in tech 
and that we have a variety of jobs. Um, and I want that too for everyone, that it's not just the developers, that you can come in, be technical in a variety of ways, that you don't have to have a CS degree and follow that you know, very narrow path in order to come into the tech sector, that there's so many options for coming in because you know, especially now that we're in, you know, the cloud service, well, there's a lot of things that have to happen to run a cloud service. I mean, there's infrastructure that has to be built, you know, from the data centers, you know, acquiring the real estate at the basic level to building all the networking that makes it happen. Um, And a lot of that is very technical work. It's just not necessarily straight up dev programming. You may not be writing the code, but you're making all of that happen so that the code can run. And I really want to show people that that's possible. I totally agree with that. I mean, I even think that like I have a lot of friends who will look for work and um, they're maybe more on like the admin or the QA side of things. And I'm like, you know, look at a tech company like they're they need people like you, too. And they're like, oh, I never would have thought about that. Like, yeah, you know, Microsoft has HR. Google has HR. Like, go check these companies out. They're doing cool things. And then if you want to move around and move Mm -hmm. closer to things, there's there's more opportunity there. Oh, yeah. There, and, and that's the thing is that there are tons of opportunities and there are there's tons of ways to be involved in the tech industry, even if you're not straight up, you know, a developer or, you know, full on technical. You can be here without, you know, you can be here in HR for, as you said, um, and then you can move around and you can do neat things. So it's a great place to be. So with mentoring, the mentoring that you're doing, um, what do you find that the biggest hurdle is for for young girls specifically these days? I think a large part of it is it's just visibility into the industry um, and it's seeing what their options are. There's not a whole lot of, you know, there's a lot of here's, you know, girls who code, here's all the, you know, learn to code things, but there's not a whole lot of insight into the industry beyond that. Um, And then it's very much aimed also, it only hits a sort of small segment of girls. And, you know, a lot of the stuff is very low level. You see scratch, you see uh, touch develop. Um, It's simplistic in a a lot of ways because it's, but it's very visual oriented. It's not really coding per se. Um, It's like very high level concepty at best. it, It is. It's very high level. It doesn't necessarily get into a lot of the logic of it. And so I think that you miss out on some of the people who are really interested in getting in deep. And so I think that's part of the problem is that you have people who are interested in getting in deep and you are missing them with some of the, you know, more kid oriented stuff. That was the nice thing for me was that when I was in high school, there was nothing like that. So I was immediately dropped into adult level classes (laughs) effectively. Um, So which was its own challenge. Uh, The other is that you have, you still don't have that same level of women in tech that are just out there invisible. You have more of it now, but again, there are not a ton of women around that are out there and that are, you know, pulling in girls. And that's, and I think that's just, you know, the hard part of it is that it just takes time. There are definitely more women than when I started um, in tech, uh, which is great, but you know, it's just, it's a slow build. Yeah. I mean, like anything where we're trying to level out diversity, it's, it's going to take time for sure. It does. It's not, it's not easy to build a diverse environment and to just say, oh yeah, we'll just make it happen. 
you know, Norway's done a lot of interesting things with, you know, saying women have to be X percent on corporate boards. You know, there's a lot of studies that say, you know, diversity builds uh, or diversity improves corporate profits. Um, But you can say that you can have all the studies you want. It doesn't necessarily happen until people really start uh, putting it there. And there's still that lack of sponsorship for women in general. So it's encouraging others to sponsor women. And in turn, they will sponsor the younger generation. Yeah, totally. I I feel like the one of the big pieces that I think you you kind of were touching on was that we've got a lot of this intro work, but there's so little to kind of give you career path. Yes. And and I think that's actually true with a lot of the people that I'm meeting that are going through like coding boot camps and stuff too. Like they're and they're getting a much deeper education for the most part, but they're still like at the end they're like, "Yay, you graduated. Good luck." Yeah. Mhm. There's not a lot of support for people who are going into the industry um, or really for that matter, going into any, any industry, it's, you graduate from something and good luck in the real world. Um, and there's not a lot of handholding, which, you know, there doesn't need to be a handholding per se, but there's not a lot of support for helping people. And it, it's a skill set just working in the real world. It's, it's completely different um, than college is. It's, you know, there's a different set of expectations. You know, I got lucky in that I've had a job since I was 14. And so I learned really quickly <laughs> about, uh, how to work and how to meet expectations and things like that. But for people who haven't had that exposure, um, and the tech sector has its own set of expectations and there's a lot of questions, uh, that you have to ask in the interview to learn, is this the right company for me? It's not just about, you know, do they want, are they trying to hire me? But you're also, you have to want to work for them. And, you know, there's this whole, you know, it's a 24 seven environment and things like that. And there's a lot of this misperception too around that. Um, I was talking to someone the other day and I said, you know, service engineer um, implies that it's a 24 seven position to me. Maybe that's not the case, but to me, that's what it implies is that you're on call. Uh, whereas software engineer implies that you're not on call and things like that. Job titles can make all the difference because, you know, if someone's like, oh, wait, I'm not sure, you know, if even if it doesn't say in the job description, I'm not sure if, you know, that's going to be something that they stay in the interview, then you might walk away from that. So. So when you participate in like Girls Who Code or Digital Girls or whatever, are you doing talks or are you just there as a resource or what is your participation level? I have participated as a mentor in Girls Who Code and I did speed mentoring for Digital Girls um, and have also helped out with the uh, coding instruction for Digital Girls. So mentoring in Girls Who Code is one-on-one. It's been absolutely fantastic to work one-on-one with these girls. They were rising seniors. Um, They're the two girls that I worked with are just absolutely amazing. They're really, really bright. And, you know, just seeing them grow and develop over a summer and really get interested in technology and in seeing what it can do for them. You know, we talked a lot about uh, how you it gives you options in your career, how you can, you know, build your own career out of it. You know, you have this gig economy now, if you will. And that's one of the things that we talked about was how it can give you these options of, okay, so you want to do something else for, you know, part of the year and you can, you know, work freelance as, you know, a developer for part of the year, you know, as a contractor. 
and maybe that will fund your passion. Uh, and so we had really neat conversations around that. So it was actually a lot of fun. <laughs> I love that part. That did sound really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something about like seeing people's eyes like open up like, whoa, possibilities. Uh, it really, it really is all about that. It's really neat to see them, you know, open up to new ideas. I just talked to a couple classes of high schoolers while I was visiting my mom in South Carolina and, you know, the sophomores are still sort of formulating, you know, exactly what's going on. But the seniors are really getting into it as I was talking to them about, you know, all the possibilities that open up for them, especially as they're thinking about their future careers, because they're really much more engaged at this point. You know, they're thinking college, they're in the, you know, finishing up applications if they haven't already and, uh, you know, getting acceptance letters and all that. So they're really in that mode and watching them as I was talking about you know, how the interview process went for me and, you know, a lot of the questions that I've been through, it was really interesting to watch them light up and say, oh, okay, I kind of get that. That's cool. So it was very neat. That was really cool. Oh, I always like to ask, what are you most excited about that is coming down the pipe for technology? You know, I am really, really interested in what's coming down in terms of energy production. Um, and the reason being is I'm very curious as to what's outside the solar system. So I would love to see what we can produce in terms of energy that will get us out of the balance of the solar system. I'm a total sci-fi geek and you know, Stargate Universe. Um, mm-hmm. I'm totally like, all right, when can I go on a spaceship um, yeah. <laughs> across the galaxy? Um, so yeah, that's really what I'm looking forward to is, you know, how do we get, you know, one, how do we save our planet with um, better, you know, not using fossil fuels and cleaner energy, but two, how do we get off the planet? Um, I'm just fascinated by that. I like that. I always think about, you know, energy technology. And for me, it's always the green energy technology, but like getting out of the solar system, good call. Yeah, yeah. really. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I'm ready to go. That's one of the best, best answers yet. Let's <laughs> find that Chevron. Let's go. Yeah, for real. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Liz. This has been fantastic. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women's Tech Radio. Remember, you can find the show notes at jupiterbroadcasting.com. You can do the show drop down for Women's Tech Radio and find all of the great episodes that we have done. You can also find the contact form there. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at HeyWTR or give us a shout out with a review on iTunes. Thanks so much.